Isaiah chapter 25, verses six through nine. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Lent is a 40-day period of preparation. Just as Noah was on the ark for 40 days to prepare for God's recreation of the world after the flood. Just as Elijah journeyed for 40 days to the mountain of God to prepare for God's recommissioning of his prophetic ministry. And just as the spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan for 40 days of preparation for his earthly ministry. So we too need periods of preparation for the significant work God desires to do in our lives. The question is preparation for what? Nina spoke earlier of Bartimaeus following Jesus on the way. The question is, on the way to what? Preparation for what? I believe our scripture passage from Isaiah chapter 25 this evening teaches us that Lent is a 40-day period of preparation for the table to come. Hear these words again. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make For all peoples, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away all tears from all faces And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken, and it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Isaiah tells us about this table that's gonna come. Somewhere out there, there's a table coming, Isaiah wants us to know. And he tells us what's on that table in verse six. On that table, there's a feast. 
It's a feast that consists of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. And if you know how Hebrew poetry works, it works by repetition of similar poetic lines that are slightly changed in order to point you in a new direction or have a fuller meaning that comes out of reading those two lines together. But here, when Isaiah talks about this feast, he repeats the lines almost verbatim, almost exactly the same thing. He says it's a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, and then he repeats it. Of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined, and marrow is the fat on the inside of the bones. It's the, the fat that is, that is stuffed deep into the meal. Rich food, feast, well-aged wine, rich food, full of marrow and aged wine, well-refined. There is a table to come, Isaiah wants us to know. But who is this table for? And Isaiah wants to be clear. Who is this table for? To whom will this table be available? Remember, as the biblical authors were going about their work, I like to say they didn't have control B to bold something. They didn't have control U to underline something. They didn't have control I to italicize something. And they certainly couldn't change the font. And so the only way they had to emphasize a point they were making was through repetition. See if you can pick up the word that gets repeated. And remember, I'm asking the question, to whom is this table available? On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. Did you catch it? Twice there in verse, excuse me, once in verse six, two times in verse seven, two times in verse eight, five times in total, the word all gets repeated. We heard earlier that there was space for us on the journey, on the journey toward Easter, and Isaiah wants to be clear, there is space available for all people at this table to come. The next question I would ask is, when, will, when is this table going to come? If there is this table out there in the future that is available for all people, when will this happen? When might we get to experience this? Isaiah is clear, you'll experience it in the midst of your pain in the midst of the problem that you can't resolve, in the midst of the guilt that you feel, in the midst of the consequences you're experiencing that make you feel like you will burst if you must endure them for another season. Verse seven, Isaiah says that the Lord will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. You see this covering, this veil, it was symbolic of mourning in Isaiah's time. It was what you did when you were mourning the loss of a family member, or as I'll explain in a moment, mourning a great national tragedy that you might be 
experiencing, in the midst of great pain, in the midst of great loss, in the midst of great tragedy, in the midst of the veil spread over you, Isaiah says there is a table to come. And this is interesting because of the placement of this poem in the middle of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah can be divided pretty neatly uh, into two different themes. If, If you want a very simple outline for the book of Isaiah, all you really need to know is two different words. Isaiah chapter one to 39, the theme is judgment. It's the judgment brought on God's people because of their sin the judgment and the consequences they are experiencing because of their idolatry, the pain that they are experiencing as a nation as the Assyrian Empire overruns them and pushes them into exile. In the beginning of the book of Isaiah, you learn that he receives his call to prophetic ministry in the first year of the king, Isaiah, and that can be dated to 740 B.C., which is the time when the Assyrian Empire came, conquered the 10 northern tribes of Israel and sent them off into exile. And so Isaiah's first 39 chapters deal with judgment. At chapter 40, there's a turn. There's a new word that comes and the word is comfort. One to 39, outline, judgment. 40 to 66, outline, comfort. Isaiah says, comfort, comfort for my people, that the Lord will come and comfort his people in the midst of their sin. He will bring them back from their dark exile. And so what's fascinating about this passage in Isaiah 25, about this table to come in the midst of the veil covering our faces, in the midst of our mourning, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our judgment, what's fascinating is it's in the first section of Isaiah. It's chapter 25. Remember, 1 to 39, judgment. 40 to 66, comfort. So what is this passage doing right here in the judgment section of the book of Isaiah? I believe it's instructive for where we are here on Ash Wednesday. In a moment, we will be taking, partaking in the imposition of the ashes which symbolizes the judgment of God, the judgment that God pronounced on Adam in the garden. Adam, you are but dust. And because of your sin, to dust you shall return. Incredible picture of judgment imposed right on our foreheads. Yet the ashes are imposed in the shape of a cross a beautiful picture of the comfort that we have when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. The exercise that we've been going through this evening of confessing our sins and then being assured of our forgiveness. The ashes themselves are a function much like Isaiah 25. It's a picture of God's comfort for us has promised to restore us in the midst of our experience of judgment for our sin. Isaiah wants to tell us about a table to come. Ambrose, who was a great bishop in the fourth century, he was a 
bishop of Milan in the fourth century AD. He regarded Isaiah not as a prophet of the past, but as first apostle and evangelist. He looked at Isaiah not just making prophecies about things that would take place in Israel's day, but as the first evangelist and apostle of Jesus Christ. You see, this Lenten season, we will be studying the gospel of Luke, particularly scenes of Jesus eating meals around tables, tables with all kinds of people. This Sunday, we will continue our series, which I'm introducing tonight, the message at a table with sinners, Jesus around a table with sinners will continue. The next week, we'll see Jesus at a table with a Pharisee who perceives himself as righteous. We'll see Jesus at a table with 5,000 people in the midst of the desert. We'll see Jesus at a table with the powerful. We'll see a table with the Father. We'll see Jesus around a table with a despised man named Zacchaeus. Why is Luke so interested in Jesus around tables in his gospel? Well, you see, the Bible started around a table of sorts. When God gave his original commission to the first man and the first woman in Genesis 1, we're familiar with these verses of Genesis 1.28, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves along the earth. We often stop there and go, what a beautiful commission God gave to humanity. We don't often keep reading the next verse and God said the next thing that he said. God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. You see, after God commissions Adam and Eve to be his image bearers in the world, he says, if you're gonna do that, I need to feed you. And he provides for them the first table. And the first table really looks something like all of creation. And you see, the Bible ends around a table. In Revelation chapter 19, verse nine, we hear John say these words. The angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. The table that was at the beginning is restored at the end of the story. In the final scene of Luke's gospel, we see one more table. As he's had Jesus around all of these tables throughout the book, the story ends with Jesus talking to two men on the road to Emmaus, wondering what happened, wondering why Jesus died. They had such high hopes for who he was. He starts explaining to them what the scriptures had to truly say about the Messiah. I'll pick up the story in Luke 24, 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening 
and the day is now far spent. So he went with them, and he was, so he went with them, and when he was at table with them, Luke is a very conscientious writer. He does not include extraneous details. When he was at table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. When he was at table with them, they recognized him. You see, Isaiah wants us to know that there is a table to come and that this table is a restoration of the table that was. And Luke is clear that Jesus stands at the center of this table, that Jesus is what we celebrate at this table, that Jesus is how God chose to offer us comfort in the midst of judgment at this table, oil in the midst of our ashes at this table. And so over the next 40 days, I know we will all find ourselves around lots and lots of tables. I pray we might reimagine these tables in the form that Isaiah has showed us here this evening. Not as mundane opportunities to fill our stomachs, to have the amount of caloric intake we need to keep going throughout our days, but that we might sit at tables and know there is a table to come. And we might use the opportunities we have around those tables to share with people the good news about the table to come, that the table at which we sit is but merely a dimly lit lamp of the bright sun that we will see shining in the future. For we must remember that Lent is a 40-day period of preparation for a table to come. And so as we begin this journey, it begins, as I said, with this picture of our judgment. It begins, as I said, with this picture of our lives apart from Jesus Christ, that apart from Jesus Christ and placing our faith in him, we hear the words that God said to Adam, you are but dust, and to dust you shall return. But hearing those words and seeing this symbol, there's something hidden in here. I mentioned it earlier, it's not just comfort in the midst of our judgment, it's oil in the midst of our ashes. That throughout the history of the church, the church has burned the previous year's palm branches from Palm Sunday to create the ashes for Ash Wednesday. But they have added oil to the ashes. And the oil is, symbol, is a symbol of the anointed one himself, Jesus the Christ. That Christ means the anointed king. And so in the midst of this picture of our judgment, in the midst of this picture of our death apart from Christ, is this picture of Jesus Christ himself, the king, the anointed one, who longs to give life to all who believe. 
And so I pray as we come forward to receive these ashes that we will hear these words and feel them pressed on our forehead and see them as we look in the mirror, that we are dead in our sins like ashes. But through faith, God has made us alive in Christ Jesus because Lent is a 40-day period of preparation for that table to come where we will eat in glory, feast in glory with Jesus himself.